Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Bespoke Brewing Solutions. Bespoke Brewing Solutions designs and manufactures equipment that allows breweries to produce high-quality craft beverages with increased cost-effectiveness and faster turnaround times. The BBS team has eight years of solid teamwork together and more than 10 years' worth of experience in manufacturing brewing equipment. BBS now has representatives around the world in America, Australia, New Zealand and, of course, China. Having a team in China that speaks the local language allows BBS to oversee all aspects of their clients' projects from initial layout designs all the way through to equipment testing before shipping. BBS has equipment represented in 16 countries, which means they've sourced equipment and designed brew house configurations for every type of brewery you can imagine in every situation. BBS also offers consulting services from brewery commissioning, recipe formulation and equipment training on brew day to the packaging of your finished product. If you've never started a brewery before, they're here to help. And if you're an experienced brewer, they speak your language. Visit bespokebrewingsolutions.com. That's bespokebrewingsolutions.com to get in touch with one of the team to discuss your project ideas and to show you the bespoke way. I'm Nick Law. And you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello and welcome to... Another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast, a rather special session if you are from the United Kingdom. Yes, it is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Now, if you live somewhere else in the world and you don't understand this phenomenon, basically it's where people from Britain feel very patriotic about the monarchy, who for the rest of time, they scorn. But because there's a four-day bank holiday weekend then everyone loves her and everyone loves it and everyone's very patriotic. And then, but don't mention Brexit, obviously. Don't mention, don't mention Brexit. So if that's you, if you're enjoying um, the Jubilee celebrations today or this weekend, then great. And if you listen to this retrospectively, then it was probably all <laughs> blown out of proportion. But hey, you know, let's hope that people sell and sold lots of beer. So there you go. But it ties in very nicely this week with this episode of the Hot 4 podcast because we're looking at British hops. So I started a little experiment recently with uh, Charles Farham, who are a hop merchant based here in the UK, to see if I could brew an IPA as big and as punchy as IPAs hopped with varieties such as Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, Sabro, you know the vibe, but exclusively with British hops. Now I've seen this done before, because a brewery here in the UK, not too far from where I'm actually called Buxton Brewery, released a beer into a supermarket called Brit Hop, which again was a British hopped IPA. And I remember the first time opening this beer when it was fresh and it was new on the shelves, tasting it and being absolutely blown away by the flavour and the aroma on this thing. If you're an avid listener to the Hot Forward podcast, you've probably heard me talk about this beer on several occasions. So I was talking with Will and Charlie from Charles Farham to see if there was some kind of collaboration or something that Hot Forward and Charles Farham could do together. And we we hit upon this idea of what if we did a podcast or even a video, YouTube video, on brewing this beer and seeing how it turned out. To start with this amazing grand plan of filming something for YouTube, you've probably seen some tweets and Instagram posts about it. And um, where is the video? Well, it's on my laptop in a very um, unfinished form. In fact, it's not an unfinished form, it's an unstarted form. Um, I have to give all credit to people that do YouTube for a living, or just even more so as a hobby alongside their job. Putting together a YouTube video is really hard and very time consuming. Um, you know, I just haven't, frankly, got the time to put it together. Uh, hopefully at some point I will. Maybe it's something I'll outsource to someone else to to do. Um, but for the time being, 
there is no YouTube video, just this podcast. But nonetheless, it's a great podcast where me and Will Rogers, the technical director from Charles Farham, talk about British hops. So to give away the ending before you even hear about the hops and me talk about this beer in this discussion we had a while back, um, I brewed the beer. And I'm telling you, filming whilst brewing by yourself is hard work. Maybe I can't even face doing this video looking at all that footage of my ramblings um but I, I brewed this beer using varieties that we discuss in today's episode and canned it and i i'm not going to open one on air because i'm very well acquainted with it now having had a good few of them um i'm absolutely blown away by it it's called england's green and pleasant land it's an emmanuel's and it's available now if you live in sheffield then you can pick it up from one of the many stockists around here. Uh, if you live a bit further afield, by which I mean London, you can get it from Brewery Market in Twickenham. And if you're going to Bev Expo next week, then I believe Charles Farron will have some on their stand as well as tasters. So um, make sure you try and pick one up if you're interested in tasting it. I'm pretty sure um, some of the stockists in Sheffield, like Beer Central and Industry Tap, do uh, deliveries as well. So make sure you get that beer. But actually, you know, I'm I'm really, really blown away by the flavours that these hops have given. Basically, it had 15 grams per litre of dry hopped of Most and Mystic. Most is a reasonably new variety. And Jester as well, a combination of those three in total, 15 grams per litre. And there was a shed load of hops. I'd, I'd need to go back and look at the uh, the brew sheet to calculate how many um, per litre. But there was a shed load of hops that flame out as well. Not just the ones I've just mentioned, but varieties such as Alacana, Godiva. I'm sure there's something else. Harlequin. There you go. Harlequin. And Harlequin was the bittering hop. Just a slight bittering hop at the start. But it balances really well because the bittering hop just, just lifts it slightly and gives you some slight bitterness at the end of the tongue. But what, what you get, and you've heard me use this analogy like a bazillion times before if you've listened to this podcast often, but if you haven't, what you get is this. With varieties like Citra and Simcoe and Mosaic, right, they're like Nirvana Live at Reading. You know that album? Okay, they're just like kind of punchy, raw, aggressive, I would say that these British hops in this IPA is more like Nirvana Unplugged. You get all the same character and even that same sort of intensity, but it's more mellowed. And to be honest with you, I'm a convert of British hops. You know, I think I'm going to use them a lot more in my beers to make them, particularly my IPAs, to make them a bit different. You know, I sat last night having one of my IPAs next to a Nieper. Now, obviously, they're slightly different beer styles because mine's not a, a New England IPA. But, you know, in terms of hop intensity, they were very, very similar. However, I felt like mine, I'm not just blowing my own trumpet, but I felt like mine had something slightly different that I just thought, you know, I could drink, I could drink way more of this in one sitting than I could the Nieper. And that's maybe that's what I find with Varieties such as Citra and Simcoe and Mosaic and and particularly that combo, like they they all they all feel in many ways to me at least well, a bit one dimensional, whereas um, there's a lot more complexity in England's Green and Pleasant Land, which is the beer I brewed, and and in Brit Hop as well, which is why I keep going back for that beer again and again. Unfortunately, with it being on a supermarket shelf so long, the last few I had didn't taste as wonderful as I remember it the first time. But I'm making a case here and now, if you're listening to this and before we crack open today's discussion with Will Rogers from Charles Farham, I'm making a case. If you're listening to this and you're a brewer and you're based in the UK, I'm challenging you to brew a British hopped IPA because they taste different and it'll help you stand out a little bit more against all the other Citra Mosaic hopped IPAs because it's better for the environment if you're based in the UK, having hops that are grown in the UK shipped around the UK rather than flying halfway around the world. Think of those air miles. Because it's good for our local economy to support hop farmers here in the UK. Because I think there should be some kind of manifesto for us here with our own heritage and brewing culture to not shun and scorn British hops so much because they are fantastic, in my opinion. 
And as hop growing technology, if that's a real thing, grows like these new varieties of British hops do, then we're only going to get juicier, more flavoursome British hops coming out rather than the jokes about grass and moss and twigs and all that. So there you have it. At some point, a YouTube video will come out, I promise, <laughs> fingers crossed. But for now, we're going to hear from our sponsors and a little bit about Hop Forward before we crack open today's discussion about British hops with a virtual hop rubbing between myself and Will Rogers, the technical director from Charles Farron. Not only is Hop Forward a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. Finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors who make the show possible on a weekly basis. Today's episode of the Hot Four Podcast is proudly sponsored by Bespoke Brewing Solutions. Bespoke Brewing Solutions designs and manufactures equipment that allows breweries to produce high-quality craft beverages with increased cost-effectiveness and faster turnaround times. The BBS team has eight years of solid teamwork together and more than 10 years' worth of experience in manufacturing brewing equipment. BBS now has representatives around the world in America, Australia, New Zealand, and of course, China. Having a team in China that speaks the local language allows BBS to oversee all aspects of their clients' projects, from initial layout designs all the way through to equipment testing before shipping. BBS has equipment represented in 16 countries, which means they've sourced equipment and designed brew house configurations for every type of brewery you can imagine in every situation. BBS also offers consulting services from brewery commissioning, recipe formulation and equipment training on brew day to the packaging of your finished product. If you've never started a brewery before, they're here to help. And if you're an experienced brewer, they speak your language. Visit bespokebrewingsolutions.com That's bespokebrewingsolutions.com to get in touch with one of the team to discuss your project ideas and to show you the bespoke way. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. On the Hot Forward podcast this week, I'm joined by Will Rogers, who is the Group Technical Director for Charles Farham. Hello. Hi, Nick. Nice to see you. You too. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. At the time of recording this, it's Hoppy Easter. <laughs> couldn't, resist, couldn't resist. I know, I know. I'm all about the puns. It's, it's all, apparently, I heard on the grapevine, I'm not sure how true this is, but apparently Pete Brown, the beer writer, said that I have the best beer puns in the world with Emmanuel's. I don't know how true that is. So um, I might ask him next time I see him, but... Own it. Just just go with it. Well, I am owning it. Brill, well, just for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us what you do at Charles Farron, what, what your role involves? So as group technical director, I do a lot of work with growers and suppliers of, of hops all around the world. Uh, I run our breeding program for, for, for new hops, which is one of the things we're, we're sort of interested in talking about today. And uh, yeah, I look at technical improvements across the, the whole business as well. Awesome. Great. So do you get out to see many breweries with your role? I I do, yes. I mean, it's part of the job that I really enjoy going out and meeting the actual people who are using the hops, um, listening to their experiences. Um, and, you know, we take all that feedback. And, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit challenging over the last couple of years seeing lots <laughs> yeah. of brewers. But, you know, we've we've still got out there a bit and uh, it seems to be opening up nicely now. Great. Well, today I wanted to talk about English and British hops. A lot of our listeners will already know this, but for the benefit of people who are listening or watching this that don't, um, you run a breeding programme. Can you talk a little bit about the breeding programme, what it is and, and what it does? So the breeding programme started about 14 years ago. Um, and 
we so Peter Glendinning is our, our hop breeder, and he he's a research agronomist specialising in hops. And he'd already looked and found some interesting plants growing among other hops. Uh, and this is where Archer and Minstrel, you may have heard of, came from. So they they were they were odd plants in Sovereign, and uh, but what they had is some or appeared to have uh, some really good disease resistance. So when I started at Charles Fairham, I was discussing with Peter, who I, I knew before I worked here, um, about what, what we could do to, to, to look at the new world hops. Could, could we grow them in the UK environment? Um, you know, if, if we were to take uh, Chinook, plant it here, would it grow? It has been now, and, and it smells very good. Not quite like the US, but smell, smells, you know, it's very similar. Yeah. But at the time, we, we, we sort of thought, well, let's have a go at crossing some Cascade. Because Cascade in, in America is a very early variety, so they harvested at the beginning of September. But because we're slightly further north, uh, and the hop life cycle is... is uh, run by daylight length um cascade ripens very very late in the uk so ideally we'd be picking it in the first or second week of october which we also don't have great weather in the mm. second week of october or we can't we certainly can't guarantee it so we thought well we'll make some crosses and so we crossed cascade with a it was actually a hedgerow hop, so it was, it was about eight feet tall, had uh, aphid resistance and some other disease resistance that we thought was really interesting. And we just thought, well, let's, let's see what we can do. And the first hops to come out of, we've had three varieties out of that first cross, Jester Olicana and also um, Most that we, we grow in the Czech Republic. But the disease resistance that we got from that initial cross was really interesting, and it, it did bring the ripening time forward a bit. Mm. So we thought, well, where can we go with this? Um, and we've continued to, to make further crosses since, since then. Bearing in mind, it normally takes 14 years to develop a commercial variety, uh, and just has been available on the market since 2012, 2013. Right. So, so we really shortened that by uh, we run a lot of the the breeding processes, the disease resistance tests. We run run in parallel, so we do a lot of them at the same time, as opposed to waiting for one cycle to finish and then go on to the next one. Because the problem we have is we have, you have to wait a year all the time. So we do a test and then you have to wait a year. Right. <laughs> That's That's very time. time. Oh, it's very time consuming. So we've really tried to shorten that process, and we think we now can do it in, in five or six years. So, you know, Harlequin is now becoming of a commercial scale, mm. and, and and that one has only been with us for, for three or four years. Yeah. So when you're talking about disease, um, what, what sort of diseases are hops prone to, and what can you do to combat that? The biggest one is one for us in this country is called verticillium wilt. And it, it, verticillium is related to a fungus. So it, it's, um, it lives in the soil. It attacks the plant. It feeds off the sugars in the sap. So if it can get into, that, into the plant, it, it, it then uh, invades the whole plant and, and will kill it. Now, there are varieties that are, are resistant to it, so they don't let the wilt in, and, and there are varieties that are tolerant of it. So the wilt gets in, but it doesn't kill the plant. Mm. And then there are completely susceptible varieties, and, and we have a, a, a scale that we can uh, measure these things with. And so resistance to verticillium wilt is extremely important because once it's in the soil, there's no way of killing it. There's no spray we can use. Um, we can reduce the burden of it using other plants to, uh, for, for want of a better analogy, to distract the wilt from attacking the hops. But ultimately, when it's in there, it's in there. We can't get rid of it. Right. Uh, and two of the other significant diseases or fungal diseases that we suffer with are, are powdery and downy mildew. Uh, 
powdery mildew is, they're both spore-based, um, but powdery will absolutely wipe out a crop if it gets uh, get to foothold. And we've got resistance to that. So we actually put all the babies into a greenhouse and we, we spray them with powdery mildew spores. And you can see those that die and some two plants next to each other. One will look horrendous and the other one will be completely unaffected. That's so weird. It's incredible when you think that actually they are still 99% genetically identical and they're probably from the same cross. So it's like mm. brothers and sisters. Um, and then downy mildew is another fungal disease that when we have particular climatic conditions, so if it's warm, then it cools off in the evening and we get the dew in the morning, like we do on most September mornings in the UK, it, that is optimum time for downy mildew to come in. Mm. And, and, and again, it, it seriously affects the, the, the quality of the product. It doesn't necessarily wipe it out, but it does affect the, the quality of the hops that come through. And there's no... There's some work being done in the US now that we're, we're sort of involved in um, that is looking for resistance to that. At the moment, we, we're of the opinion that there isn't resistance to it. But what there is, is some plants recover more quickly than others. So we're looking for the plants that have resistance to wilt, resistance to powdery mildew, and recover really quickly when they get downy mildew. Uh, and that those are the, the three main diseases. And then, then we have a few um, pests that also we can have resistance to. So aphid, uh, hops are affected by a, a, a green fly, an aphid called the damson hop aphid. And it, it, these damson hop aphids will feed on the sap of, of the plant. They're unfortunately hosted by prunus fruit, so damsons and plums, uh, cherries, uh, but also blackthorn, which a lot of hedges in the UK are blackthorn. It, it makes a nice stock hedge, is also a prunus. And so it will host these aphids as well. So we've got resistance to that from a cross that Peter Darby made. He took a, a Japanese relative of the hop called Cumulus japonicus. And he managed to cross it with a hedgerow hop variety and, and, and brought out the variety Bodicea. And the aphids will land on it and they'll have a little feed, but they don't really like it. And then they, they don't replicate, they don't breed on that. So it's a really useful form of natural resistance. All of these things we're looking for looking to try, try to avoid using pesticides yeah, yeah. Um, or certainly reduce our reliance on pesticides. So core to our breeding programme, coming back to what we, why we did it, was we're looking to have best practice on, on farms and reduce our reliance on pesticides and also fertilisers. So the Olicana and Jester and Harlequin actually require something like 30% less fertiliser than, than traditional varieties in the mm. UK, which again, massive. Yeah, uh, which I would imagine at the moment as well with um, what's happening in Ukraine and that whole situation with the, you know, and how the supply chain is handling that when it comes to fertilisers mm. is a huge benefit for British hops. Yeah, so... The growers that haven't forward contracted for their fertilizer, the, the price of fertilizer has tripled, it, and that that's huge. How how are they are they going to cope with that? It's quite difficult. Um, we're also within that breeding program with the technical director role I was talking about. We're looking at some other green manuring, we call it. So planting other plants that that provide the the nitrogen that. that hops are quite hungry plants they like a lot of nitrogen and um, so we're looking at other ways of getting that into the soil which are natural so uh, yeah we're planting things like uh, winter rye 
uh, as a, a natural, we can mow it and then you have a natural fertilizer and using sheep to, to trim the bottom leaves off the plants, which they've been doing in New Zealand for years, right. but it, it's relatively new here. And there, there's all sorts of things we're doing to, to as I said, try and achieve best practice and, and improve the quality of the hops that you get, but also reduce our environmental impact. Yeah, that's amazing. One of the reasons that we've got you on the Hop4 podcast is because we're doing a little bit of a, a collaboration. Um, so you very kindly sent me some hops. Um, I'm going to have a, a bit of a, a sniff and a rub of the various British varieties. And then I, I thought maybe you could help me put a recipe together and then I'm going to brew it here. And then once it's packaged, we'll send you some and we'll do a tasting. So I thought we'd start with um, with Most. So... When I went to see Babira X, I was like, oh, what's this most? And uh, <laughs> Charlie quickly corrected me. He's like, no, it's most. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's spelt most. Um, so can you, t- can you tell me about, first about the name and then we'll, we'll crack this open and have a, a good smell. So as I alluded to earlier, most came from the same cross as Gestrinola Carna. Um, but we have some friends in the Czech Republic and uh, one of them is an agronomist. He works with hop growers over there. And he wanted to try and grow some new varieties as well. So, so he had some seed, which Most was part of. The name Most, it's the name of a town, but Most actually means bridge. Right. And they were the work that we've done with these Czech guys, uh, they were very touched by our sort of altruistic motives behind the programme and, and trying to trying to help them and come up with a new variety. Bearing in mind that about 95% of the hops grown in Czech are SARTs. It's, it's one variety. Um, and they haven't had a huge amount of success developing new varieties in the past because everybody says, but you can grow SARTs, so, so, so grow that. So they, they were very touched and, and most means bridge. And it the name actually is to symbolise the work that we've done yep. with them to to bring a breeding program to to, to their uh, their company and their their growers that work with them. So so that's where the name comes from. Amazing, it, it's it's nice. It, it it it's a shame we have to explain it all the time. But you know, yep. in English, it means something different. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. I, I like that little story. So I'm going to crack this open. Um, I've never ever smelt this hot before. Um, so I'm excited about using it. It's quite tricky opening uh, a, a bag <laughs> precariously rested on your knee whilst on video. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I, I'm working on a slightly smaller bag. Nick, oh, there so. you go. Right. They've got a lovely, it's kind of like a lemon-esque aroma. I mean, the, and they're, they're, oh, so you can get those up to the camera for, for people to see whilst spilling them ceremoniously all over my Mac. Um, but they've, um, there you go. They've, um, they're, they're lovely and green. Yeah, so, so we're really pleased with the disease resistance from that particular cross with, with, with Cascade. So they're a daughter of Cascade mm. um, with a, a hedgerow father, although they're actually a tall hop, they grow... 20, 22 feet tall. Um, and in, in Czech, they're growing them seedless. So in the UK, we have seeded hops, but in, in Czech, they grow them seedless. And it's relatively late for them. It doesn't coincide with their sarts picking picking season. But, well, we ought to have a little rub of it, oughtn't yes. we? It's rude not to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grind these. I mean, it's, lo- it's lovely and sticky. I mean, yeah, the oil content's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It, to be honest with you, it's 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 a. I would say it's probably about as sick, sticky as something like Citra. You know, I'm, I'm surprised it when when you really start rubbing it, just how sticky it, it is. But the the, the smell's fantastic. So you were, you were talking about zesty lemons. Mm. Um, I also get a little bit of raspberry hubba bubba kind of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that takes me back to my uh, teenage years, early nineties. <laughs> but really, quite rich as well. Mm. There's a there's a depth to that uh, aroma, and that's one of the things we're looking for. Actually, is a little bit of complexity, and also 
not just the high notes that come out when you first sniff it, but the slightly behind that, uh, the, the less volatile um, aromatic compounds are mm. likely to survive better in the beer. Yeah. So we're looking for those too. Yeah. So what, where do you think this hop would sit best in a brew? Late or dry hop, personally. Right. Um, there's a little bit of black currant in there, which would hint that there's some 4MMP, um, some thiols. So it'll probably work, it, depending on, on the yeast that you select, it, it will work quite nicely in that. We have found it works very well in lagers, so it, it, it is clean if you use it late without mm. the dry hop. But yep. I think if you want some of that, those raspberry and lemon notes and a little bit of black currant that we were talking about, yep. I think you probably want to use it as a dry hop. And can you use these in a, a unitank dry hopping that way, or are they? I mean, do they do them in T90s or? Yes, yeah, yeah, we have have them in T90s. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, right. So, oh, do you want to do you want to choose the next one? Well, I think we ought to go. Normally, I would go to Olatana next. Yeah, that's so within reach. I think he says optimistically it is. There you go. So, um, yeah, talk a little bit about Olicana. So, Olicana was bred at the same time as Jester and Most, but was a couple of years behind in the breeding programme. And the reason being that we... I, I spoke briefly about the powdery mildew resistance. In, in our greenhouse, it showed signs of getting powdery mildew. And that was a little bit of a concern. Although, when we, when we took... It on to produce fruit the hops smelt really good that's why it survived but when we've planted it out in the field we haven't seen significant powdery mildew and we call it field resistance so powdery mildew mutates quite a lot and different areas have different strains and it might just be that the strain we used in the greenhouse it was susceptible to but actually in the field it doesn't seem to be affected so having planted out a plot, we decided that we could grow a little bit more yep. of it. And actually, it, it's received very positive um, feedback from, from brewers. So we, we have planted up more acreage. And um, it, it originally was named Olacana because I think it's, it's quite a good name, but nobody knows where it comes from. Um, Ilkley Brewery came down to look at our development programme and they asked if they could name one with Melissa Cole. And uh, we said, yes, of course. Uh, and they named Olakana Olakana because Olakana is the hill fort that Ilkley town was, was built on. Um, so that they, they named it. Uh, but we thought it was quite a nice sort of distinctive name. Yeah, it's a cool name. So mm. let's let's have a good rub of this one. There's a nice zestiness to it, a little bit grassy. Maybe in a, I don't want to say fuggles because everyone thinks grassy and moss. I hate when people say that. I like fuggles. Um, but it's it's apart from going everywhere, <laughs> getting covered. Um, yeah, it's got it's it's got a nice sort of refreshing light scent to it, um, with with some of some of the um, some of that zest, and a little bit of grassiness to it. Um, again, very, very, really quite sticky. Yeah, the oil content's not bad. It, it, I mean, neither of those actually are as high as Citra, but it it, it it's interesting though. We try to preserve as much oil in by treating them as kindly as possible. Um, so Olakana, I I get yellow fruit. I get a bit of mango in there. And, and there's definite floral notes as you say, Nick. So um, maybe a little bit of red berry as well, but but not a huge amount. Again, would would you put this as like a late hop? Would you dry hop with it? How would you how would you treat uh, this one? How would it handle yeah. in a whirlpool, actually, out of interest? 
think it works really well as a late hop in in the whirlpool as leaf. You mean? Well, either I guess. Um, yeah. So so as palette, it works works fine in the whirlpool. As leaf, it's a little bit more difficult in a mm. whirlpool. Um, you may want to put it in a bag to 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 sort of allow it. Well, to stop it stopping the whirlpool from working. Yeah. Um, but yeah, works very well as a late hop. And there's, uh, again, there's quite a lot of complexity there. So, so that, that if you use it earlier, you'll get some of those survivables coming coming through. If you use it as a dry hop, you get more of them, the mango characteristics coming through, yeah. yellow fruit. Just out of interest, if I was to dry hop with leaf, um, would you suggest putting those in like a, a voil bag of some kind or just letting them roam free in, in the tank? A few years ago, everybody was dry hopping with leaf in the tank, and and a lot of people were using like a, a, a sterilized pillowcase, effectively tying it to the bottom of the tank before they transfer. I think it's relatively inefficient. I mean, that's right. it's it's a reason why there's been a real push towards pellets. Uh, the the loopling gland of a pellet has been broken, so all those oils are more readily available. Certainly where we're not using, that there's no mechanical uh, turbulence in, in the FV. Um, it, we're relying on currents, uh, you know, thermal currents yep. within the FV to, to, to do a bit of the work for us, and there's not a lot of heat to extract those oils. Um, as far as the dry hot concerned, I would I would still probably go toward pellets, but if you need some for your brew, and we, we and once we've decided the recipe, I, I can always send some pellets if you need. Yeah, I might because I, I think there's, there's there's one bag of Jester um, pellet. Um, so what, what I might end up doing is doing two brews, um, one in the the open top FVs, which I might put into cask or something. And then, um, and that might be more of a sort of pale ale type, and then do a IPA in the Unitank, where I can really dry hop it. What I'm trying to get is that big Buxton Brewery Brit hop. Mm. Um, if anyone's had that beer before, that that flavour is insane. You know, mm. the, the way I often equate that when I talk about it to people is say, oh, American hops a little bit like Nirvana Live at Reading, but Brit hop by Buxton Brewery is more like Nirvana Unplugged. So you get that same kind of characteristic that Nirvana have, but mm. one's a little bit more, I wouldn't even say toned down. It, 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 the way I was thinking about it this morning, they're both as emotional, so to speak, but um, one's slightly more mellow um, than the other. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the guys at Buxton have done a great job with that, that Brit hop beer. Um, and, and a lot of the character, I believe, comes come from a, a heavy dry hop charge. Yep. But it shows it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Great. Should we should we um try another? Uh, what maybe mystic perhaps? Yes. So you sure? <laughs> well, well, I uh, yeah, I can be I, guided by. I'm happy to be guided by you. We so the the pellets I sent you of Jester. Yep. A type forty five. Yep. So that they're, they're slightly different. But let let's go to mystic first. Okay. I think you're right. You're right. So here we are, nice um, low alpha acid on this, 4.67. Do you want to yeah, talk a bit about this hop? Before don't let that fool you. So, so Mystic is the daughter of Jester. So one of the things we've been doing is deliberately following genetic lines, uh, trying to make sure that we, we're, we're breeding for particular characteristics that we like and trying to enhance those characteristics within the next generation. And, and sometimes you need to go five or six generations on. So it's a daughter of Jester, Jester having that great disease resistance. But Mystic, so the naming for Mystic is, well, it, it, <laughs> so we plant about 15,000 new varieties a year as part of this breeding programme. Roughly 40% will be male 
and we use the disease resistance tests to get rid of a huge number. So we might end up with 500 at the end of the end of the year. The first year we don't get any fruit from those, but in the second year we'll we'll get fruit. So we've got 500 plants a year, or between two and 500 a year, coming through. So you can imagine we've got this quite a large area of individual plants, all different, maybe all from similar crosses, but all different in, in the field. And Peter and I, during September, will go out and we we take the green hops and we we sniff them, trying to we know very little about when they're ripening or when we should pick them or whether they're worth picking even at this stage. So we do a green aroma assessment on as many plants as we can in order to guide the programme later. So we know which ones we want to pick a brewing sample of um, and so on and so forth. And Mystic was called Mystic because it's quite exhausting actually going around all these plants and rubbing and sniffing them. We have to do it multiple times in the month because we don't know when they're going to be ripe. And it was getting a bit dusky one time and Peter was absolutely desperate for a beer and he was trying to drag me off to go and have a beer because we tend to do it at the end of the working day. Yep. And and I, I saw a plant that I liked the look of and I said, oh, come on, this last one is the dusk was setting and and we had a rub and sniff of it and we were just blown away by it and peter said oh you you had a premonition that that one was good you must be a mystic ah i see clever right should we crack this one open absolutely normally i'm used to on the podcast doing um like beer tastings and that you know referring to cracking open a beer but um obviously at this time in the morning this seems more appropriate. <laughs> well, but the, the the podcast viewers aren't to know that it's not not after midday. Well, uh, yeah, but, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Ooh. That's lovely. That's that's um different isn't it it is trying not to spill it everywhere (laughs) i get accused of saying too much too soon so that i don't want to guide you as to what you're getting from Um, it so i'm I'm going to be patient i'm i'm getting some lime some coconut even not in a sriracha ace kind of way, just in case anyone out there is like, huh? <laughs> might hop. Yeah, I like sriracha ace, but obviously some people don't. Getting a little bit of that. Oh, there's, a, there's an aroma I can't put my finger on. It's really pleasant, but I just, I can't put my finger on what it is, what I'm smelling. I get a load of passion fruit from it, which I, I think is really nice. And it, there's also, you know, when you crack green peppercorns yeah there's sort of a, a really nice aromatic spicy mm. to it and I, I get a little edge of that off it as well yeah there's definitely some pep- pepperiness to that to it um quite herby yeah quite herbal i i always say about mystic is that it has a certain je ne sais quoi about it yes. there's a refinement to it it, it, it's it's herbal and it's spicy and it's fruity, but there's not there's no off notes in there. There's no, no rough edges, um, and that that is the reason why it survived. Because actually, it doesn't yield very well. Yep. Um, and we've been having a lot of debate with with our growing team and within the office as to whether we continue with it as a variety. Right. But the brewing results are always good. So my, I'd like to keep going with it. So plants suffer with viruses and viroids like humans. Mm. And when you're running a breeding program, you accept that there are viruses and viroids within the plant. Now, 
depending on the genetics of that plant, they might react, not react at all to having a virus burden or that they might really struggle. And mystic, although very closely related to jester, really suffers with, the symptoms are that the plant's stressed, but it's stressed because it has this virus burden and its reaction to having those viruses mm. um, are that it, that it appears to show signs of stress. Yep. So what we're trying to do, you can get the plant cleaned using Meristem technology. So you cut the growth tip off and you, you, you then grow that on and you keep doing it and you can use heat treatments. And then eventually you get some cells right on the tip that are clean of virus and you grow them on and you have a clean plant. So we're working on that at the moment, mm. which should improve the yield, but may well change the aroma. Yep. So we're, we're working on that and hopefully it will come through with a plant that yields better because at yeah. the moment it, it, it's right on the edge of making commercial sense to grow it. That's that's a shame because it's a nice hop. I mean, when, when would you use that in, in the brew? I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you by saying it late again and as a dry hop because it, it does have uh, 4MMP and, yeah. and a little bit of 3MH in there. So that passion fruit is is 3MH yeah. and, and the right yeast will do some really nice biotransformation for okay. you. And, and you can get 3MHA, which will give you more tropical fruit. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of using uh, Lalaman's Verdant IPA yeast. I mean, I've, that's been a bit of a go-to yeast for me at the moment, just because it, it gives you all that, you know, stone fruit, passion fruit. Yeah. Fruitiness. <laughs> I think of, of the ale yeasts, it, it's one of the better ones at, yeah. at doing that biotransformation. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it should should do a good job there, Nick. Yeah. Well, should we crack over the last, how many are there? I've got Harlequin. Godiva. Godiva. Give me words let's out. Go, <laughs> let's go Godiva. Right. Um, okay. So Godiva is named after Lady Godiva, in case you were wondering. It's a daughter of Jester. And it it's named Godiva because... In, in the field, it's almost leafless. So you have this plant with just hop cones on it. And unlike Mystic, it produces a fantastic yield. So growers would really like to grow this one in, in bigger quantities. It's always interesting when you're trying to describe what you're smelling when it comes to hops in particular. They... Um... Well, trying to describe flavours and aromas is quite difficult anyway. But when we, you know, we're talking about a hop, we're not talking about actually eating a banana mm. or or an orange or what have you. So we're trying to we're trying to make those connections, and and it, it is quite. We we spend ages looking at hundreds of different varieties here to to try and mm. help ourselves make those associations. Well, I'm definitely getting apart from. <laughs> loads of hop leaf on my nose <laughs> um i'm definitely getting passion fruit on this it's not it's not like super intense either um but it's it it's it's definitely there some some lemon maybe even a touch of orange so we normally describe it as orangey citrus right and and some gooseberry in there as well yes yes it's not so there's hmm. that white grapey um Gooseberry note. It's kind in of um, in a, in in a not too dissimilar way to Nelson Savan. Yes, yeah. It, it, the comparison has been made, but I, I think you know it's not the same as Nelson, and certainly those orangey notes you wouldn't expect in Nelson, but it has very nice subtle orange characters. Gooseberry, little bit of spiciness. Again, it's quite clean. I don't know whether you noticed that, Nick, but it's got a really clean aroma to it. And so you're going to ask me when it was when to use it. Yep. I'm going to say late or as a dry hop as well. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm not necessarily going to be nailed down on that one. But 
it works really well in lagers. Um, Camden at their Kentish Town Brewery, the little experimental plant, have done a, a local lager with, with that. And it, it, those aromas that you were describing that we've been discussing come out nicely in a very clean base lager. Uh, and it, we've experienced that elsewhere as well. Amazing. Great. Well, in the interest of time, uh, so we'll yeah. get through the, the the next two. Should we go on to Harlequin and then end with Jester? Yes. Yeah. So let's let's look at Harlequin. So, so Harlequin is a daughter of Godiva. So you can see the theme. We've gone Je- Cascade, Jester, Godiva, Harlequin. Yep. Now, so so Jester normally has an alpha of six six to eight. We have seen it higher, but generally six to eight. Godiva, seven to nine. Harlequin is nine to 12. So part of the, the, the breeding was to increase this, this alpha content because when we increase the alpha content, that is only one indicator of what's going on in the hop. And so the oil content tends to be linked to the alpha content. So it has a higher oil content as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying not to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> we we take sneezing when you're sniffing hops being a good sign. It, it's uh, it's normally a sign that the the hops are pretty aromatic. Yep. I'm uh, I'm just this is video gold. Obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow my nose. It might <laughs> it might even make it into the final cut. <laughs> yeah, and it came out green. I'm not going to show you though. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Right, let's uh, let's let's go for it with this one. So the name Harlequin was really a, a development on from the Jester name to, to keep that family link. It's a lovely colour, this. Um, nice, nice and green, but with lots green. of yellow, lots of yellow powdery goodness in there and that's the indication that the alpha and oil is, yep. is in there we, we we feel that actually getting these hops to punch out in the beer like like you were describing with the 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 buxton brit hop we we need to have an abundance of that oil in there yeah you're getting a lot of citrus it's, I mean, it's very, very tropical. I've never, I don't think I've ever used this hop before. Well, it, it hasn't, it, it hasn't been around that long. Right. It, it, as a variety, um, we call it a weak rootstock. Now, that's not to say that it's going to get nobbled by disease, but it, 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 rather than planting it and getting a crop the year after. So, if we planted it this summer getting a, a crop in 2023, it takes a couple of years for the roots to establish. And so although we planted a fair amount up a couple of years ago, this harvest is the first harvest when we're really going to see significant volume. And hopefully yep. you'll see lo- lots of beers on the shelf and, and have the opportunity to brew with it. Yeah, more. I certainly hope so. It's um, it's lovely. It's, um, again, it's it, it, it feels like it's got that big punchy, or has the potential to have that big punchy aroma and flavour to a beer from a from a British hop, which is a, to- a total win if you live in the UK or I guess or anywhere else in the world. <laughs> it, it, it is interesting. We've had a lot of interest from the US, and and we had in mind that we we feel it's a little bit crazy that we're moving hops around the world in in container ships. If we could produce something in the UK that that produce similar characteristics or be as punchy you know we don't we don't want to limit creativity for for the sake of not moving hops around but can we do it in this country and i'd like to think harlequin proves that we can yep um in within the breeding program we've got daughters and granddaughters of harlequin and some other lines we've got coming through so I think you'll be, if you like Harlequin, you'll be very impressed. Just watch this space. It's amazing stuff coming through. Yeah. So the last one we're going to look at is the, the Jester Type 45s. So 
I don't know whether you've covered Type 45 pellets in the hot. I haven't, to be honest with you. And um, I, I don't know much about them, so please enlighten me. So they're a mechanically enriched pellet. There are other patents and trademarks that do something very similar. Uh, but we use the Type 45 process. Uh, and what, what happens is you, you freeze the hops, you grind them as you, or chop them up into little pieces as, as you would a Type 90 pellet, and you keep them frozen and you put them over a sieve. And that yellow powder you were describing at the bottom of the Harlequin, that's the lupulin. So that contains all the oil and alpha. Uh, and that drops through the sieve and the plant vegetable material is left on the top of the sieve. And you can remove a portion of that. Now, type 45 would suggest that you're removing about 50% of the material. But you can go further than that, or you can go less than that. There, there is a another proprietary brand that removes only 5%. Right. So by removing that plant material, you're effectively increasing the oil content in that pellet. You're doubling it. But a lot of the polyphenols are, are stored in the woodier parts of the hop cone. So if you can take those away, you get a cleaner mm. aroma and you get less of an issue in, yep. in the final beer. So we love Jester. It's a great variety. It worked really well in the end of, at the end of the boil. But we felt that as a dry hop, some brewers were saying that we, they were getting a not, not a clean aroma from it. They really liked it, but mm. they were having to they, they were having to be very careful with how much they used. And so we decided to try making a type 45 pellet out yeah. of it. The beauty of the process is that we can we can standardize those pellets so you can choose how much material to remove. So you always end up with the same alpha. Therefore, very similar oil content. So with Jester, I chose 15% as the alpha. And every year you will be able to get a Jester Type 45 pellet at 15%. And therefore, you should have continuity between your beers. Mm. And it's mechanically enriched. So the only solvent used effectively is supercritical CO2. That's what they freeze the, the, the hops with. So it's not entirely natural, but also it's not a complete extraction. So yeah. compromise. Awesome. Well, let's let's uh let's open this one. So they should be nice and green. Now I'm gonna cheat because rubbing and sniffing pellets is quite difficult, but we have a little oh, look at that. gadget here. Uh... Cunning. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, you're getting um, a, a lot of blackberry. I mean, I've, I've used Jester before and I love it. And I, I love beers that have Jester in it. Um, like a, a lot of blackberry in there. A little bit of pepperiness. Some, maybe even a bit of raspberry or strawberry. Some sweet fruit. Yeah. yeah. Um I mean, I'm very excited about putting this into the uh, the DPV. It the beauty is it's very clean. It it tends to give us a character that is. You can see the similarities with Harlequin, uh, and and in the Type 45 format, you can see it much better than. So you can see it's ground the hot right. powder there. So it's quite. I get a passion fruit. Again, I mean, I like I like passion fruit. What can I say? So that that works really nicely as a as a dry hop. Not that you can use a type forty five as you would a, a type nine mm. pellet. There's, there's there's you just treat it as the alpha would suggest. Yeah. So um, you make your additions appropriately. It's a bit of grapefruit as well, I think. Yep. In there. So some brewers are using. Jester as a as a cascade replacement, so that grapefruit would would, would tie up. Um, the idea being that to reduce our reliance on on some of the US hops, cascade is so widely used 
that Jester slots in quite nicely as a as a, a cascade substitute. And yep. you know, they're they're, they're quite they're, they're very closely related, mm. being mother and daughter. Uh, and Jester ripening slightly earlier brings some of those citrus characteristics through that British grown cascade struggles with because it ripens up a little bit later. So British Cascade is lovely, but it tends to be a little more subtle than the American Cascade because it doesn't, it, it's not truly ripe. Certainly got your sinuses going by the time. It really has, yeah. Bill, so we've got, we've got all the hops. Uh, we're going to put a recipe together. So just want to say a massive thank you, uh, Will, for, for your time and for your guidance. Just for anyone out there that's maybe watching this or listening to this, um, how can they find out a bit more about British hops? What's the best place? I presume, obviously, your website's a pretty good go-to, but are there any resources on there in particular they can look out for? So there's the Charles Ferrin website. We we have a little bit about breeding as well. And we there's the British Hop Association website, so all the growers uh, and, and most of the varieties are listed on there as well. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to, to email email me it's will rogers at charlesferrum.co.uk and i'll answer any any questions that you have amazing brill right well let's put a recipe together looking forward to it i hope you enjoyed this week's discussion with will rogers from charles farrow where we did a virtual hot rubbing session i want to take the last few minutes of the hot four podcast just to explore the recipe that we put together and to play an audio clip that i took on my iphone on the day that I was canning the beer with some uh, flavour notes of what the beer actually tastes like. So uh, I'll make the recipe available on the website. If you go to hotforward.beer forward slash podcast and look up this episode, you'll be able to download it for yourself and maybe have a crack at brewing it. So for the grist bill, I used 64% extra pale Maris Otter, 21% of torrified wheat, had 10.5% of flaked oats, and then just to give it a little bit of residual sweetness, only ever so slightly, um, I used 4.5% of Caragold malt from Chris Malting Group. So that was the, the base malt. Uh, the mash temperature, if I remember rightly, was, it was quite low actually, it was about 64. I had a bit of an issue with the mash temperature when I was brewing this. Um, I was aiming for higher than that, but it's it's not harmed the beer. So there you go. And then in terms of hops, there was a an addition of Harlequin at 60 minutes. Again, I'll, I'll post this as a recipe from um, Beersmith, and then you can translate it into your own uh, volumes. So there was a, a small hop addition harlequin at the start and then there was a good amount of whirlpooling with uh, most mystic godiva and olicana i used verdant ipa yeast to i mean i just love that yeast from lalamand it's a fantastic yeast um so i used that and then the dry hopping was um jester most and mystic 15 grams per liter although the jester took up Basically, there was a two-to-one ratio of jester to the other two hops, if that makes sense. When you go on the website and look up the recipe, you'll be able to see what I mean. But have a please have a stab at brewing it. It's a fantastic beer. And I'm just going to let this episode play out with my tasting notes what that I recorded on Canning Day on my iPhone. So if you've enjoyed this episode of the Hop 4 podcast, please leave a review uh, leave some comments on social media. And finally, just a massive thanks again to Charles Farham for providing the hops for this and the expertise to make this absolutely fantastic beer. And as I said earlier, if you're in Sheffield, Twickenham or at Bev Expo, please seek the beer out and try it for yourself. In my opinion, it's absolutely bagging. So on that note, cheers. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll leave you with my tasting notes. Right, here it is, folks. England's green and pleasant lands. Look at the haziness on that. All British hopped IPA from Charles Farrowman's breeding programme. So let's taste this and see what we get. Oh, that's... So this, this is 
genuinely the first tasting of this since I've carbonated it today. And it's just quite simply, I'm, I'm blown away. Um, not to blow my own trumpet, but that's a good, good beer. There's, um, in terms of flavours from those hops, there's just a nice level of bitterness. It's not overwhelming. You just get it right on the end of the tongue. But it balances so well against the ABV, which is 6.1% and the sweetness of the malt. But the flavour you get on those those hops, the um, the Jester, Olicana, Harlequin, Most, Mystic, Godiva, it's just, it's, for me, not only is it up there with your Citras and your Simcoes and all that stuff, for me personally, I think it surpasses it. And I'm not just saying this because Charles Farron very kindly donated the hops for this experiment, but it's got all that hoppy punch you get with those American-type hops, but it's not quite as aggressive and given there are so many beers out there at the moment with Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, Idaho 7, Sabro, and don't get me wrong, I like those hops because there are so many of them, I want something different. That to me tastes different. I'm absolutely chuffed to bits with that. So it's going into cans on Friday, order the labels. Hopefully it won't be too long before it's available. Keep your eyes peeled and make sure you buy some when it's out. Cheers. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.